Welcome this evening to Mosaic. Let's stand and worship together. And welcome to you on the live stream as well. I searched the world But it couldn't fill me The man's empty praise the Treasures that fade Are never enough And you came along And put me back
everybody. Go ahead and take a seat. How is everybody? 2021, man, it is good to have you here. It is good to just be together singing. My name is Matt. It is such a privilege to just see you face to face. Also, just to connect with you virtually if you're watching at home. Uh, I was told right before this, we're having some glitches in virtual world. So I apologize if you're sitting on the couch and all of a sudden something stops. Uh, as a guy from Wisconsin who right early on, there's snow. Do what we used to do if there was a commercial. Just run outside, do a snow angel, grab a snack, do something silly. It'll be on quick. We love you. We're sorry if there's going to be a problem, but we're hoping that it's going to make it okay. You, however, cannot do snow angels. You have to stay here with us, and it is going to be a sweet night. There's a lot of neat stuff happening. Hey, I wanted to give you a little bit of a forecast uh, in 2021 from the teaching platform where we're going. I always love to hear and pray and see what's on the horizon, uh, and so just want to let you in on the loop. We are going to go uh, from this brief little uh, Thy Kingdom Come mini-series that we're doing here specifically on lordship. We're going to go into a uh, spring series on the book of Joshua. Then we're going to jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament this summer, and we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to turn a corner in the fall uh, and do kind of, a, kind of a training and transformation series on the book of Matthew, specifically called Jesus in the Margin. The months to come, not the years to come, but yes, the years to come, but specifically the months to come. Um, and then just throughout this year, one of the kind of neat things, we've never done this before, um, but in those little kind of baton pass zones in between series, typically we just, we'll finish one Saturday and then start the next series the next Saturday. But we're, we're given a little room to breathe. And so two or three weeks, we'll come back to this Thy Kingdom Come series and just, just deal with some issues, some topics, some biblical themes, some cultural awareness and, and ways that we as a body of Christ can be led by God's word, uh, again, to, to see and to hear and to love as Jesus did. That unique phrase, thy kingdom come. When the, when, when, the, when the disciples ask Jesus and say, how are we supposed to pray? We're supposed to pray that we wouldn't see with our own instincts, our own eyes, our own even like family heritage, what's been passed down to us, but that we would see with a kingdom, a heavenly viewpoint, a whole new transformed worldview, praying for thy kingdom to come. So every time that we return to this, these mini-series of Thy Kingdom Come, we'll start and we'll end our nights saying the Lord's Prayer together, okay? So let's just as a way of, of starting this time, just close your eyes, take a deep breath with me. Focus your soul, your heart, your mind upon Jesus who knows you, every part of you, the depths of you, the dark parts, the, the good parts, And whether from memory or from the screen behind me or the card that you grabbed on your way in, let's together, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou
nothing on this earth you don't look on and say mine including us oh how we love you and how grateful we are for your steadfast love for us
darkness
Lord God, we do praise you in this place. We thank you for your sovereignty over all things. We ask tonight that you would draw us near to yourself. We want to hear from you and we're listening. And we love you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'd ask if you brought your Bibles with you, this would be a great time to get them out. We're going to do a little part two of our Lordship uh, conversation. Last week we talked about the family. This week I brought my elephant coffee mug to sip from as the elephant in the room will be introduced as often it is when we talk about things like money or the means of money, our work or the privilege or the, the, the prosperity? How do we become stewards of the responsibility of that which God has given us? And so we'll look from a well-known passage that I'm just, I'm just looking forward to, to, to being curious together. Let me give you a little hint as we read. These uh, three paragraphs and six verses. The first paragraph is about two treasures, one in heaven, one on earth. The last paragraph, the last two verses... It's about two masters, one you despise and hate, one you're devoted to and love. Now, any time that a story in the Bible has almost these mirroring beginning and ends, as Bible students, we have to take the advice of great theologians like Rocky Balboa, who was on TBS repeat all week, and we stopped and watched when it was Rocky IV against the Russian Drago. And that moment where he's sitting against the ropes on the stool with his trainers and he says, my eyes are blurry, I see triples. And what does trainer say? Anybody? Hit the one in the middle. And that's what we're gonna do tonight. We're gonna see the beginning and the end mirroring each other and we're gonna focus on the middle on a specific question. How well do we see? So let's read uh, from Matthew 6. And I'll start in 19 and finish in verse 24. It says this, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. So there's a bigger context going on to this story, and it's always important to ask, what is the context? What is the story around the story? It would make a difference if I called you from a distance and said, guess what, we got one inch of snow today. If I told you that story living in Wisconsin versus today living in Arkansas versus in July living in Louisiana. 
Those are totally different stories told in totally different ways. And the story of what's going on right now is Israel is waiting. They have been promised hope, but year after year and generation after generation, that hope has felt so hopeless. So they're in this monotony of waiting for something. They're waiting for a promise of hope. And then on the scene comes the total unexpected. This Jesus character. Yeah, we know his parents. Yeah, isn't he a carpenter? Isn't he from, from, from that, that tribe, the lowest of the lows? Nothing good comes from that part of town. And yet Jesus continues to turn heads. He takes the way that they see the world and he turns it upside down. He takes their expectations of kingdom and he flips it over. He doesn't come as a warrior, but he begins to show them what an otherworldly kind of love looks and feels like. And maybe a culmination early on in his ministry is this, this Matthew 6 and 7, this passage, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. There's points of this sermon that are public or, or, or outward instruction, things about divorce and oaths and revenge or enemies, and you can hear his language, how he flips it. He says, well, you've heard it said, but I say. Imagine as a listener, what would you do? Well, yeah, that is actually how I heard it said, but now I'm supposed to hear it completely differently. He is literally rewiring their worldview. And then in Matthew 6, there's also these inward, these private, these soul things. Praying, fasting, how to deal with anxiety. And he rewires there as well. You can tell it as you read the stories. This is, again, this is the context. Because all of their spiritual examples up until this point, their prayer, their fasting would be done. Their spiritual leaders would do it in a public way, in a loud way. See me, hear me, recognize me. That was their model for intimacy with God. And yet again, you've heard it said, but now I say, Connection with God is, it's not public, it's private. It's done in secret. It's not for the world's approval. And I think it's interesting that's in this section, this inward piece of the story where we are given some of the perspective-altering teaching on money, on work, on prosperity. So that middle part, considering our sight, this is really important. There's three different kinds. There's a good, or one translation says a healthy kind of sight. And a good, healthy sight, that leads to light. Good sight leads to, say it with me. That's right. There's a bad or a unhealthy sight. And guess where that leads? Darkness. Good sight leads to light. Bad sight or unhealthy sight leads to Darkness, And then there's a third one. It's kind of a curveball. Kind of caught me off guard, and I bet it kind of will catch you, and almost it hits us in a unique way. There's a presumed light. There's a light that you think you're on the right track, or probably more revealing, you're trying to convince others that you're living in the light. You are masquerading light. And that one's called you're living in even deeper darkness. 
And so all of this is in the middle of this idea and this conversation of how do we view our work and do we see it rightly? So let's look at it in three parts. If you're taking notes, uh, put three sections. There's an original design, a timeless problem, and a new way of seeing. We'll start with an original design. Let's go back to the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Genesis 1, 27 says this. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, this is important, fill the earth and subdue it. And then Genesis 2.15, let the Lord, I'm sorry, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend it. So man is given a model in God of this perfect dance, this perfect balance between work and rest. And then he calls us as his followers to image him, to image him to the world of what that balance of work and rest could look like. And he calls us in our work, he says, to cultivate which basically means to make something out of nothing, to take chaos and to bring meaning, to bring order, to bring beauty to the world, and that that beauty would multiply. That when the world looks upon the beauty, when they look upon the artistry, they think of the artist. So whether it's an architect designing, an artist creating, an accountant mathing? Is that a word? It should be. A parent training, a vendor anticipating, a coach coaching? Have you ever felt that moment? That moment of doing the creative thing that you know that God just specially and uniquely put within your heart, designed you to do. And it's a moment that's bigger than just general success. It's a spiritual affirmation. I'm fulfilling the purpose of what God created me for. I remember a moment uh, when I was coaching basketball. I was coaching fourth graders. Fourth grade basketball is the perfect age to me. Because some on the team are literally clueless. They can't dribble. They don't know what passing looks like, they don't know anything. And then there's others that think that they should just be like on the varsity already. And I remember moments of coaching fourth graders taking chaos. It's like attempting to catch butterflies, organizing dust, and teaching them the motion offense. And then seeing at parts of the season, their instincts develop. To me, it's almost like It's like music coming together. It's like artistry happening. What is that thing for you? That unique thing that you become a storyteller with God, a creative part of his original designed order, participating, contributing, taking our work as a gift of God. It's an original design, but there's also a timeless problem. Genesis 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. Kids, you ever hear the story of the Tower of Babel before? 
It's a great story. Honestly, it's a story I think we skip over a lot. We kind of know it in theory, but we don't find a lot of like spiritual principles. But I think looking at work, it exposes some of our biggest sin tendencies, tendencies that almost like a copy on a copy machine, that the original copy has a wrinkle, it copies wrinkles. These tendencies have passed down to us. Here's how the story goes in Genesis 11, verse three. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. Now, by the way, so far, so good. They are creating. Up to this point, they built houses out of mud or houses out of rock. They're going, they're getting ingenuity. They're like figuring out how to better things. They're making bricks. This is a good thing. But then it turns And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and something new. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So here's the sin tendencies. Sin tendency number one, we take the gift of work and we turn it into something it was never meant to be. So I think there's two ditches we can fall here. Taking work, the gift of work, turning into something it was never meant to be. Ditch one, we know it as workaholic. And you know you're a workaholic when you can never turn it off. It is your hit. It is your idol. It is your identity. You know, 15 years ago, I was reading this article about the, uh, a phone came out. This is on the front end of before like iPhones and all kind of the smartphones next started happening. There's a phone came out, I bet you remember, called the Blackberry. Remember it? It was a big deal. And they nicknamed it the Crackberry. You wanna know why? Because people couldn't put it down. But the cultural philosophers of the day, they started saying like, wow, you can't just, you can't set this phone down because you can like text and like the buttons like come up to your fingers and it's so great. But then they started saying things like, but what if, what if email started to get on your phone? What would we do then? And yet today, are you in that spot where you're in a family moment of rest or connection or or, or, or you're in a place where you should be doing something else, or you're sitting here at church, and in your mind, you're like, man, I'm getting stuff done. I'm firing up the emails. I'm multitasking. You might be a workaholic if within the last 42 minutes you thought about the things that you have to get to work on Monday morning. That's ditch one, being a workaholic. Here's ditch two, that work is the enemy You live for five, you live for the weekend, you live for retirement, and that work just gets in the way of your happiness. It is a barrier to you getting the place where you're finally happy again. It's a very different kind of ditch, but it is still a ditch. And the people of Babel, they were in a ditch. They were working for their own praise. They were working to make a name for themselves. That's not how God created work. 
Here's the second sin tendency. We counter God's original plan of be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God designed work as a vehicle of scattering to the ends of our neighborhoods, the ends of our office, the ends of the world, and they said it in there. Did you hear it? We'll make names for ourselves and we will stay put. We won't scatter so that we won't have to scatter. They had a plan of recognition, a plan of control, a plan of safety. It was basically, let's contain the spread. So if you ever found yourself in a place of, I just have to get work over so I can get home and get mine, rather than using the platform, the gift of work in making Christ known, it is so compartmentalized in your mind that your work mode, and your ministry mode, and your mom mode, and your husband mode, and your friends mode are completely different modes, and you leave one to enter the other. These tendencies, I know it. I've, I've been feeling it all week. I promise I've been studying this. These come as a gut punch because they're real. It's like somebody snuck your journal and is reading it. Because we have this slant of making work become our significance that we should only find in Christ alone. We use work to create these porcelain bubbles of power, of control, of safety for us and our family. If you don't believe me, just look at the Western view of retirement and how it's advertised. Work over work, work endless hours for your entire life at any cost, at any sacrifice, so you can retire early, move to Florida, and do nothing but shuffleboard. Can you see just even in that, the skewed view of how God designed work as a gift? You know, every now and then, I start on a notes page and realize I did the entire page out of order. So right now I am pausing and thinking, how in the world am I going to figure this out? Praise the Lord. What a blessing. All right. <laughs> okay. So thanks for being my friend and just trusting me that I'm not perfect either. Here we go. Number one was... <laughs> Work is a gift. Number two is work as a strategy. Um, uh, forgive me, thank you. Work as a strategy. As a co-worker of God, we see it as strategic means of scattering to the ends of the earth. God's gift of work becomes a blessing when we see it rightly. But it also, it becomes a strategy to the ends of our neighborhood, to the ends of our office, to the ends of the earth. We could talk about the, the, the ministry of work, the strategy of work, but I've been so blessed and so impressed by so many of this mosaic body of how they see their actual employment, their, their purpose and their calling in this world. They see it as missionaries. 
So I think of John, whose design team is as diverse as they are intrigued. Why is his marriage as good as it is? Why is he as peaceful when things seem so pent up and stressful? Why does his joy abound? Why is his love so sincere? And John taking the opportunity and the courage to answer. I think of Morgan, whose entrepreneurial spirit isn't, she uses it not to segregate herself, but to engage the lost, the hurting, the under-resourced of her community. I think of Rob, who's so grateful for the work that he's done for years faithfully, work that has allowed him the kind of flexibility of ours to shepherd dozens in their addictions and their affections. I think of Hannah, whose work of motherhood is exhausting, yet fulfilling in the soul development of the mini-me's that are watching, that are seeing, that she literally lives life on full display, crazy hair and yogurt everywhere. Because these watching eyes are seeing genuine faith in action. Work is a gift. Work is a strategy. Work also as a foreshadowing. The prophets Isaiah and Amos had really interesting things to say. Isaiah says that they will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and they will eat their fruit. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands and they will not labor in vain. Amos repeats it. He says, they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and they will eat their fruit. Friends, can you hear it as they look ahead to a day that is to come, a heaven that is to come? By the way, when did heaven equate doing nothing but lying around and just listening to choirs sing all day? Boy, doesn't that sound like the other place? Not like heaven. Our eternal reward is not a passive one, but a fulfilling one, filled with this beautiful balance of work and rest. It's not something that we levitate up to, to attain, but that heaven would invade earth. It's a complete home makeover. It is a total restoration. Whether it's Isaiah or Amos or so many more prophets, it's a foreshadowing that work and rest live in this, this dance, this space of joy and fulfillment in Christ alone. One author said it like this, that we are the people of the future that live in the present. When we work now with the kind of hope-filled anticipation that we are bringing heaven to earth, showing a watching world what joy and contentment in Jesus really looks like. That's when, friends, we put flesh on thy kingdom come. So I want to reflect with you. I want to reflect with you. Um, as we consider our work, there's a passage in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Um, I read it in a devotional one day um, in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I don't read often, but I read it this day and it kind of caught me. And it was, it was the verse that we are God's co-workers. We are God's co-workers. And the new way of seeing our work is not that work is a problem. And it's not that work is an idol. 
is that our work becomes our opportunity. It becomes our opportunity to, to really take it and live it like a, like a gift, to live it and enjoy it like a strategy, to actually see what God has designed us for, what he has placed us for, to do it to the best of our very ability. So I wanna close with you with just, uh, just a question. Um, as you're watching as a family, as you're here thinking about discussing this on your way home or with your disciple-making community. As a group, name the work that God has given you. What is that thing that God has uniquely imprinted on your soul to be a creator, to be a contributor to his grand narrative? What has he given you and what does redeeming it with a thy kingdom come view look like? If I was gonna summarize that question, it'd simply be this. How well do you see? How do you see what God has given you? And as we close out with this last song, will you just sit in that space? Thinking about the, the place, the work, the, 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 the privileges that God has given you in your life. And how do you see it as a coworker of God? I don't belong to riches, treasures that don't satisfy, power and pleasures that always run dry, I belong to Christ, I don't belong
is untold With value that's given And victory written I belong to Christ I belong to Christ Hey, just want to close out our time uh, encouraging you, even in these early days of 2021, uh, to consider the place, the position, the, the, the gift of work that God has put in your life. The invitation of being a part of writing that creative story, the grand narrative that God has invited us into, again, in that mind-blowing way that we are co-workers with God. Because when your treasure is in heaven, when your master is not money, but you are devoted to the lordship of Jesus, first and foremost, then something really beautiful begins to happen. Work becomes a gift. Work becomes a strategy. Work even becomes a foreshadowing of a heaven that is to come, a heaven that is invading earth, that a watching world sees and begins to believe. I want to invite you to something pretty special coming up this Wednesday. Uh, This whole fall semester, we've been doing creating spaces the first Wednesday of the month to, again, just to discuss hard questions, hard topics, important conversations. Um, And we have James Hawkins who came and taught. He guest taught in October. He is coming back Wednesday night. You can tune in virtually uh, to see his message on race and ethnicity, living into the kingdom, uh, and then a panel of Mosaic Families who will be jumping in and teaching us and guiding us and really asking any question that we could have uh, about the topic. So we are really excited about that safe and unique and and just a blessing of a space uh, to have him in that time. So tune in 6.30 to 8.30 on Wednesday. Um, And then lastly, uh, if you're new, I know 2021 uh, is still have a little bit of the weird of new people coming, new people tuning in virtually, where are you at? But if you if you want to get connected, there's so many ways to get connect, connected at Mosaic. Um, our communities are happening all over the place, whether they're virtual, some are distanced and, and, and done appropriately in that kind of setting. Um, we'd love to keep you updated in a uh, Mosaic News kind of way. Uh, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, and so just continue to lean in, allow us to to, to be co-journeyers with you in that story of connection to the Lord and connection to each other. Uh, could you stand with me as we close out our time? Um, and we are going to do the Lord's Prayer together one more time. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mosaic, we love you. Have a wonderful week.